bold vision, inspirational leadership, drive, determination, creativity. Welcome to Secrets of Staffing Success, a podcast where we talk to innovators and thought leaders in the staffing industry to discover the strategies and tactics that make these top performers stand out. And here are your hosts, the co-CEOs of Haley Marketing, Victoria Kenward and David Cerns. Almost every company has a mission, a vision, a list of core values, but all too often they're just words. Words on a website, words in a strategic plan. Uh, But then there are those companies that really live their values. And on this episode of Secrets of Staffing Success, Vicki and I chat with Jen and Greg Lambert, the Chief Strategy Officer and Chief Executive Officer with Terra Staffing Group. As you'll hear, Terra Staffing has achieved incredible success by truly living their values and having a willingness to do what most other staffing companies will not do. Secrets of Staffing Success is brought to you by Haley Marketing. In August of 2021, Haley Marketing will be celebrating our 25th birthday, a quarter century of serving the staffing industry. To celebrate, we're doing what we do best, giving away lots of ideas. And as a thank you for listening to our podcast, we'd like to invite you to a very special upcoming event. On August 19th, we're having a day-long Smart Ideas Summit. We're bringing together many of the industry's top thought leaders to share their insights and advice. There's gonna be 14 sessions filled with amazing ideas to help you achieve new levels of success in the month and years to come. You can learn more about this event at haleymarketing.com forward slash summit. So Vicki, I am super excited about this show. And I know I say that a lot, but I'm super, super excited about this mm-hmm. show. Um, it is really an honor, a privilege for us to be talking with Jen and Greg Lambert from Terra Staffing Group. These guys run what is arguably one of the, the best run staffing companies in the country. I've uh, done great things. And besides that, they're just fantastic people. So super excited. Super, super, super excited, it sounds like. All right, well, let's get started then. All right, so I want to welcome Jen and Greg Lambert to Secrets of Staffing Success. Uh, Guys, thanks so much for coming on with us. Thanks for having us. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about Terra Staffing Group. I gave a nice little pitch, but I really do think you guys run an incredible company. So for everybody listening in, just give us a background, what the organization is, what you do, and what you're all about. Sure. Uh, Greg, I'll, I'll take this one. I'm the head of marketing. I, I'm used to giving the pitch. Um, so today we are comprised of 15 branch offices across four states, uh, Washington, Oregon, Arizona, and Colorado are the four states that we operate in. And we've been doing this for, well, since 1983. My mother founded the business. Um, I joined uh, was, was supposed to be just a short-term temporary gig <laughs> coming out of college. And here I am 30 plus years later, I never left and uh, recruited Greg into the business. That's a whole other story, um, but recruited Greg into the story, uh, into the, uh, the business. And uh, we've been working together for the past, what, 30 years, Greg? 30 years. Um, 30 years, yeah. But the primarily um, working in the industrial office administrative space, we also have a team that does professional and technical staffing. So uh, IT, engineering, et cetera. Um, the vast majority of what we do is, well, 
uh, up until recently, the vast majority of what we did was was temporary or contract, uh, but we're seeing in this market more and more of our clients choosing to go direct hire um, or other alternate routes to bring the talent in the door. But but traditionally, we've we've done a, a lot of temporary staffing in the commercial space. Awesome. But before we go too far, you shared a story <laughs> in the background that I have to ask about, which was about Jen, your favorite placement. My favorite placement, my favorite placement of all time, and there have been many, but my favorite is Greg Lambert. I, uh, Greg and I were dating uh, when I first joined the business, and the business was tiny then. I mean, we were a much smaller company, and we needed somebody who could fulfill a role that we would never take from a client. It was a, like five, six different job titles combined into one. I think it was probably also very low paying. I think it was also part time. And I knew the perfect person for such a, a bad, <laughs> bad role. Um, and that was Greg. Uh, Greg and I were, were dating at the, at the time. It was a very serious, committed relationship. We, were, we knew we were headed mm-hmm. to our marriage. Um, and so I convinced my father, who was our CEO at that time, to hire Greg. But it was not an easy, <laughs> it was not easy to convince him. This was back in 1990 when we were still giving typing tests. And so he said, that, well, was on a, that was on a typewriter, no less. On a typewriter, <laughs> a typewriter that made sounds, right? And we were still giving typing tests back then. And he couldn't think of any other reason. I was overcoming all these objections to hiring Greg. And so finally he said, well, this job requires typing, a typing speed of 75 words a minute or more. So thinking that that would disqualify Greg. And uh, I think Greg cracked his knuckles and blistered off a hundred words a minute or something on the typewriter. It's my Holy desk. Cow. Wow. Shoot, now I have to hire him. So it was a typing test that got Greg the job. <laughs> and here we are fast forward. He's our CEO and really the driving force between behind our, our growth. He is the, uh, the uh, visionary when it comes to having a vision for growth and expansion and all things that are possible. And um, so my dad, if he were still here to tell the story, we, we just lost him in September um, but he would, right. he would tell you, thank you. He would tell you that Greg was the best hire he ever made too. Okay. Maybe, maybe second best. After me. <laughs> oh. definitely, definitely second best. Okay. Probably, probably second best. Greg, is that how you remember it? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, I wish that I could elaborate more on that, but no, I, I, I think he didn't really want to hire me and Jennifer backed him into a corner. She's can be very persuasive. And uh, like any good salesperson, backed him into a corner and he was forced to say yes. You earned it through that typing speed. So it was, it yeah. was a collaboration. We had a similar story, although I didn't have to convince my parents to hire Vicky. It was sort of the opposite. They had a client that needed someone who knew how to use, what was it, a Xerox star? Star. And they could yeah. not find anyone who had ever even heard of the machine. Star. And Vicky had worked at Xerox. Okay. And we had star machines on all of our desks at Xerox. So I was able to be placed. It was what, Moog, I think. Yep. And then they kept asking for me back. And I was like, I don't want to be a temp. I really don't. <laughs> You're have your own success. Yes. <laughs> Very funny. So you guys have had really incredible growth. We'll, we'll talk just about the la- last year in a little bit, but I want to go back and Jen, you mentioned that Greg's been sort of the architect of your strategy. Um, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit, what, what was the, the vision that you put together several years ago that you've been living out so well? I'll let Greg take that. Yeah, well, I think the vision was born out of somewhat necessity. After the 2009 recession, we were laden with massive debts and not a, you know, a fractured 
company, you know, we were a, a shadow of a, of our company from just a, you know, few months previous. And really the only way I saw out of it was a growth strategy. And so it was a little bit of a, a Vegas gamble of being able to say, Hey, this is what we need to do. It, it could cost everything, but it's, it's the only way to really kind of advance us forward. So being able to take a strategy where we would grow and pay down our debts and, was really the most reasonable option. But it, it was more than that. Jennifer and I, we always wanted to work with really talented people. And the only way to work with talented people is to create a, a business and a business environment where they can feel challenged and and uh, they want to, people want to work for a business that's going places. Well, when I say that Greg is the visionary behind the, the business, he's really the driver in that our, at that time our, our CFO, um, said to him, Greg, you can do one of three things. You can either, you can either grow sales, you can build reserves, or you can pay down debt. And he said, I want all three. And she said, no, no, I'm, I'm serious. You can do one, maybe two of those three things. And he said, I want all three. And, and that's his leadership style to really push us all outside of our comfort zone and say, I'm not willing to settle for what traditional or conventional wisdom is. I'm really interested in more about what's possible and where we can, um, you know, what levers can we pull and what doors can we open for ourselves that, that don't seem obvious. And so I think that's where his greatest gift has been is, I, am I retelling that story correctly, Greg, were those your three options? Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was grow, pay down debts or save cash. And I, and I think it's part of, I, I think the um, part of us as a company is we're very much a non-traditional staffing firm. So many of the things that we do are very different than what's out in the marketplace. And it just creates a very unique environment for us. When we talk to other peers out in the industry, they kind of look at me and Jennifer very quizzically, like what in the world are you guys even doing over there? <laughs> I think that's a good place to be. I enjoy or being there, yeah. <laughs> Or well, especially you did it in a market I and mean, you, your, your home base is in Seattle and you did it in a market that was very, very crowded, tons of competition, difficult differentiation in the, the niche markets that you're in. So if, if you don't mind sharing it, what are some of those things that have made you so different? There's a, there's a couple things. Um, I mean, Greg talks about people looking at us quizzically in the industry. Uh, one of the things that causes people to do a double take is when we tell them that we've grown uh, the way we have with no sales force, um, which is not accurate. We, it's not that we have no sales force. We have nobody in the company whose full-time sole role is sales. So we have no sales reps. There's nobody out driving around the territory, knocking on doors. Um, that's just not how we, we operate. So part of this came from, uh, like Greg said, the, the great refining fire of 2008, 2009, we had a sales force who wasn't getting it done. And um, I made the decision to cut them all loose because they 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 weren't paying for themselves. And so, but we but I still needed sales. And so do I just go hope I can find better salespeople? Our track record of success with salespeople had not been great. And I certainly wasn't feeling like gambling in in the depths of that recession with, you know, maybe, maybe this next hire will be the one. And so instead I treated it like a, or we treated it like a any other system, like how do we create a sales? system? How do we create a revenue generating machine um, that's not dependent on the best effort of one person with a big personality and a great handshake? And so we- And, and, a, and a budget for keychains. 
and a budget for <laughs> don't forget the donuts yeah. Um, donuts. Oh my gosh. Yeah. 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 Uh, don't get me started on donuts. We had one sales rep who would deliver cookies, just drop off cookies everywhere. And, and uh, yeah, she became known as the lady who with the cookies, but no one could, no one could tell you what company she actually worked for. They just knew she was the lady with the cookies. So we decided to create just a whole different system. And so today uh, sales for us looks like a centralized team of people, uh, call center type folks who are making outbound calls and scheduling us sales appointments. Um, so our branches, our, our branch staff are going out on sales meetings or more and more these days, staying in doing zoom meetings, but, um, they're the ones who are, are doing the actual sales discovery proposal delivery, um, with, with a prospect, but they're not doing the cold calling. So those calls are being made by a centralized team in our corporate office. And we have a person who leads that team. We, we, we give them good data. We give them good lists. So we're not having to rely on somebody to go out and, and you know, come up with their own idea of who a prospect is. We've identified who our best target prospects are and we're constantly refining that. Uh, right now, it's a lot about refining which are the companies we think we can be successful with because as we all know, recruiting is a big challenge. And so that team is helping us really only spend our time on, on, the, very best, on the very best prospects for us, prospects that we think we can win with. And I just saw conversion data and um, you know, our, our sellers in the field are closing one in every three, um, wow. on average. Um, so those are good meetings, right? And, and by, when I say close, I mean, we're actually sending an invoice. Um, so that's, it's, it's working really, really well. That's fantastic. Um, I know there's a few things that we had asked you guys about, uh, what you, what you'd like to discuss with us. And, I loved the first bullet back, which was systemic thinking. Uh, your people don't suck, but you might. And <laughs> I love the bullet, but you know, I can, it's obvious from your responses so far that uh, you guys don't suck in how you run a business. But tell us what you mean about this systemic thinking. Well, we, we might suck at some things, to be fair. I mean, let, let's just be real honest. Uh, but the yeah, so systemic thinking. We we have a. Uh, a leadership model. We, 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 we train to this. It's our, it's our leadership development program that Greg actually developed. Um, and we talk about the characteristics of a Terra leader. And one of those is systemic thinking. And, and literally last week, we had a management conference for the first time, brought all of our managers together into the same place uh, for the first time since COVID. Um, and that's one of the things we trained on was systemic thinking, looking at our business as a, as a system of different parts and people are part of the system. But I think too quickly, we, we, and I say we collectively, just as leaders and business owners out in the world, we want to blame the people, right? Like it's, it's that person, they're lazy, or God forbid, we get into these generational discussions where we categorically, <laughs> you know, declare that some generation that's not ours. Throw the millennials <laughs> under the bus. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, some generation that's not ours is the problem, right? Or we can't win because of the people. And we just don't subscribe to that. We, I mean, we, we do acknowledge that people are part of the system, but it's the tools, it's the training, it's the methods um, that, that make up that system. And so we are constantly, we don't do big quantum leap innovations. We're doing constant iterations on our, on our systems. Do you want to say more on that, Greg? Yeah, I think it, it starts with a philosophy that <clears throat> if the people are following the system, and the system's designed well, then they can't help but be successful. And so then that helps with everything from training, it impacts how we hire, it impacts how we service our customers. So 
you know, a lot of times in the staffing industry, people are vulnerable when staff members leave or they tra- transition out, but we don't really have, we have some of those problems, but at a much smaller degree because our, the clients that do business with us, they do business with Tara. They don't do business with, you know, Pete or Sally because they're really good. They, they recognize that the system that Tara provides them is good no matter who they're doing business with. So we have customers that we've been doing business with 20, 30 years that they've had dozens of reps over the years. And you'll have the client say, it doesn't matter who I do business with there. The experience is always the same. That's really the goal that we go for. I think that consistency in service delivery and just systemizing all of that is so core. Mm -hmm. And so many companies skip that step. So how did you learn to do that? It was through, some of it was the way my mind thinks. And then we we engaged with a consultant for a brief period of time that got us going in a direction that kind of got us kickstarted. But it was really a process of how do I train people to do it consistently? Because as most of the staffing industry, it's kind of a word of mouth. Here's what you do. Watch what I do. Do it that way. And I didn't like that. And so it was, it was literally taking information from experts within an industry and designing a system that was customized to how we wanted to deliver business to our clients. But it was also that we couldn't replicate. We were struggling to grow because everybody tended to do things a little bit differently or managers struggled to train. So we had this gigantic part of our, I mean, I would say one of the difficulties of joining our company is we have such a massive amount of training available that literally you could train an employee every day, all day long, and you probably wouldn't run out of training for months. We have so much available to deliver to people, but it's really just trying to codify how we do it, why we do it, why we say it. Um, and I think in contrast to so much what I've learned from <clears throat> competitors, where it's more of a, our competitors do really a checklist. Like, you know, here you do this step, then this step, then this step, and you click this box. We try to actually get more into the why. Here's why you do it. I'm trying to, you know, we have a training on understanding the customer mindset and, and what the customer thinks. And so it's, it's trying to teach them more than just how to click a box, but how to be successful in how to say things correctly. Is that an accurate portrayal, Jennifer, would you say? I, I, yeah, I do. I do think so. I, I would say once upon a time, I remember having this, this moment where I once upon a time realized I wouldn't want to bring a friend into the business because I wasn't sure I could help them be successful. Because once upon a time, our training was so dependent on, you know, kind of you just do your best and, and, um, it, it wasn't codified and it wasn't, it, there wasn't the system orientation that we have now. And now I feel with absolute confidence, you give me good raw material. And by good, I just mean somebody who's willing to learn and execute a system that they're, they're taught um, somebody with a, a, you know, a reasonable amount of good judgment and, and care for, you know, creating good outcomes. And we can teach them to be successful. We, in, in fact, we don't, we don't look for people that have experience in the industry. And we have very few people inside this company that come from the industry. Um, we have had more success with, with building, building our own recruiters and our own staffing specialists from the ground up. Yeah, when we hire people, we actually say, just do what we say and you can't help but be successful if you just follow the path. 
And truly, typically, there's only two reasons people don't become successful. It's really because they either don't put the effort in or they don't follow the system. There's every other case, they pretty much are, I don't want to say guaranteed success, but it, it, they will be successful. It's for us that then it creates this hiring profile where we're looking for people who are willing to follow a system and not everybody is right. So, so you're, um, you're kind of wild racehorse, a person who wants to do things their own way doesn't really fit into our, our system well. Um, so it does have implications for recruiting, but uh, we had somebody leave our organization who was much more of that, that wild racehorse. And, and we had, we had, trouble getting him to follow systems. And eventually he moved out of state and went to work for another recruiting firm. We're still in touch. And he, he sent me a text and he said, I'm introducing those new, those systems to this new place I went. And they think this is amazing. We had a hard time getting his compliance around the systems when he was here, but now he recognizes how valuable they are. It sounds like a big win though, right there. It, it does. It felt, it felt like a, it felt like a moral victory, I guess. Yeah. 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 I hear values in everything you're saying, hiring for values and the way your systems are taught about around the why. It just seems very value centered. And all of your answers to the questions to me, you just said, you know, having a purpose and having a passion and then maintaining your principles. Is that kind of your guiding light for how you run your business? It seems right. like it is. It, it definitely is. Um, Greg led us through an exercise um, gosh, maybe five, probably more than five years ago now, where our executive team, where he said, we're going to, we're going to codify our mission and our values. And I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to choke him out. Like, no, please, that sounds no. horrible. <laughs> right. And, and I can't tell you it was a fun process to go through, but the end product of it was really valuable. And that was three clear defining values. Um, I mean, there's a lot of values that we have around integrity that hopefully all companies have, but three that we felt were unique to us. And then a mission that really boils down to four words. And the four words are success stories created daily. And then the, the vision or the uh, values are, um, we, we talk regularly about, about our value system and it's, it, it resonates throughout, throughout the whole company. But yeah, that definitely, especially I think in the last year that all got tested because I think it's easy um, when things are easy for everyone to look good, right? But when the decisions are hard and the path forward is not obvious. You really rely on those values and on your first principles around, you know, doing the right thing always. And, and we would say that when we'd go to make decisions during COVID time, you know, uncharted territory. Okay, what are the principles that are going to guide this decision? We would like state that out loud up front so that we could stay true to that. Um, and what are the things we definitely don't want to do in these circumstances because it would be a violation of who we are? And uh, yeah, there are those. Last year was refining for sure. Yeah, I actually want to follow up on that, Jen. Um, you shared with us some of the things that you did last year uh, and as being amongst your biggest successes. And I was uh, sort of floored reading the extent of what you guys did. So would you share with our audience you know, what you did to support your community last year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so one, one of the things that, um, was a, maybe a bit controversial early on was that we made the decision during early days when we were forced to be home, um, our, our local governments had these, you know, stay home orders. We, we stayed home during those, that time. But as soon as we had the option to return back to the office, we started coming back to the office. And today we are, I think I said to you in my notes, we were unapologetically, uh, an in-office operation and, uh, Greg took a hard stand on that and it would, and 
Um, we, some of us had weaker knees around, around that decision only because we were feeling some pressure um, uh, to you know, kind of go along with the common, uh, the common wisdom, if you will, in quotes around being home. Um, but we, what it came down to for us is that we are employing people in essential businesses and essential industries. And we were selling them on the premise that work could be done safely in person. And it felt very disingenuous to us and very hypocritical for us to send people to work um, if we ourselves felt that it was too unsafe to come into the office. And so we made that decision to be back in the office earlier than a lot of companies were. Um, and it paid off for us. It paid off for us. We, we did lose some staff over it. Some people who said, I don't wanna be back in the office for a variety of reasons. And we accommodated the people who needed to be accommodated for health reasons and so forth. But uh, but there were some people who just clearly had enjoyed what, what it meant to wake up and roll out of bed and jump on your laptop. And that's just not the way, that's not the way we operate. And so, so we have lost some folks and we know that the, the decision to be in office, there are some people who don't want to apply for a job like that. And, and that's okay. It, it, it's working well for us. Uh, our, our customers notice the difference having us in office. Um, our on-sites were still showing up on-site, supporting the workers who were on-site. And our customers noticed when our competition pulled their on-sites but kept sending workers to work. It just was a, a big disconnect. So, um, so that was one of the more maybe controversial things um, that we did. But um, it, 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 was a good, it was a good decision and a right decision. And an example of Greg being courageous as a leader when, when uh, I think there was a lot of pressure to do something different. The, the other thing that we did then is we supported, we have a lot of working parents in our company and, and obviously the schooling situation was really tricky. And so we created space in the office for kids to come into the office. We turned conference rooms into classrooms. Um, we have a great, a great uh, little short video we put together of our, we call our Terra School Kids program where kids could decorate these little conference rooms and spaces and turn them into their own. And we supported them with some technology and we also provided tutors. We hired tutors to help with schooling and with um, extra support for our working parents with their kids. And the kids form these great relationships with the tutors and the office I'm sitting in today, our, our branch manager here told me, she said, I have never felt more seen and, or supported as a, a working parent um, than I did during COVID here. Um, That's so fantastic. It's one of, one of, are there other things you think we should mention, Greg? I think those were the, the main couple of things that we did to try to support employees during the challenging time. Um, yeah, I think. Well, I guess one of, the, one of the other things, Greg, that you instituted was we were concerned about all the local businesses around us that were suffering too, these small restaurants. And so we instituted a program. Um, we wanted people to feel extra supported during that time. And so we, we let them order lunch in at the company expense from a local restaurant three times a week. Um, and they loved it. That, that was, we, we allowed them to use, go to chains as well, but we said, please support the local restaurants because we don't want to be left with just the chains. Uh, and, and so, yeah, every day there was food being delivered into, into all of our branches, people ordering food and having lunch together. And it actually ended up being a very a little bonding opportunity. Yeah, was, well. that, was, that was interesting yeah. because the employees would look around for small restaurants and unusual places to support, you know, and these restaurants, you know, to get an order for, you know, a few hundred dollars for a lunch order. And, you know, I think they were pretty excited about, uh, you know, supporting those businesses in, in the communities. That's fantastic. Yeah. It makes such a big impact on the industry that's clearly, you know, amongst the most devastated 
last year. Definitely. One of the other things that we did is we kicked our philanthropy up a notch or two um, last year because we did feel like we were in such a position to be helpful. Um, we Q2 was obviously the scariest time when that's right when COVID was hitting and, and our sales dropped immediately by about 40%. And so go in our quarterly planning retreat, uh, we, every quarter we set goals as an executive team and, and we set a reward and, or a celebration or a reward if we hit those goals. And, and, and it's just something we do amongst ourselves. We don't always publicize it out across the whole company, um, but we had made it, made a decision that that quarter, if, if we were profitable by some miracle that we were gonna donate every penny of the profit to local charities. Um, we didn't publicize that to the rest of the company because we didn't want people to feel pressured that we were like somehow trying to you know strong arm them, like you make a profit or the charity suffers. Um, we just had it tucked away that we were we would be willing to up to a certain dollar amount and give all the profit back uh, to the community. And when we because when we made the goal, we weren't sure if it would be profitable at all. And we ended that quarter significantly more profitable than we had expected to. And Greg made the decision to give it all away ab- above oh, the cap. That that's we had fantastic. I mean, it was only um, publicized that to the company afterwards so that they could understand and appreciate the impact of their work. Um, so we gave money, especially to food banks and charities that support um, senior citizens who were stuck in their homes who needed services. Um, and that just, it, it brought a new level of meaning to our work. And last year we were acknowledged um, or just recently acknowledged by our local business journal as one of the most uh, charitable companies in, in the area. And uh, that, that was just kind of an icing on the cake, but it, it felt good to be able to make that sort of impact through our work. Now, congratulations. That's, that's really an incredible story. And you guys did so much. Um, I want to pivot a little bit. So you talked about your mission of success stories created daily. And one of the things you talk about is being in the business of creating success stories for your staff. What does that mean? Greg, I'll let, I'll let you take We talk about success stories. I, I think it's easy to just drill down and, and focus on our clients or focus on our field force. And I really see it as a three-part mission. Yes, we want to create success stories for our talent and the field force. Yes, we want to create success stories for our clients. Otherwise, we're out of business. But ultimately, what I look for is success stories for our staff. And part of what brings me the greatest joy as a leader of a company is a lot of people in the staffing industry are, it's, they're early in their career sometimes. And so they're starting their life off. And so I love seeing them buy their first home or get married or um, buy their, you know, have a, have a child or whatever it is that they're building their life. And the success stories that I see and, and everyone makes a choice. We only work because we have to, no one chooses to work. And, but I want people when they come to work here to realize that part of what they can accomplish is a success story by providing income and a a supportive environment and training that can enable them to accomplish whatever dreams or successes that they're wanting out of life. So I really see my most important mission is creating a success story for our own team members and employees. So great. It reminds me, one of our core values is the rule of threes. Mm. And it is, um, it's really a great way to make decisions. When we make, when you have a choice to make a decision, we put it through this lens of, is it good for 
um, the client, obviously, is it good for Haley marketing? Is it profitable or, you know, but also, is it good for the team? Is it good for the people that are actually going to implement that decision that you make going forward? And how do we make that part of our daily decision-making? And it really has um, helped all of our people be on the same page. And it reminds me so much of the same thing. But I think that you may tell that story better than I do. So <laughs> no, I like your rule of threes. That's, that's fantastic. And um, yeah, I, I, it, you're right. It has to work for all all involved, right? That, 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 that's that systemic thinking. It, it can't be run through any one filter, otherwise it can become distorted. But definitely looking at, at things through our, our staff filter. Right, right now, one of the things we're addressing is just people are feeling very stressed and very strained. And our, our executive priority right now is, I've described it as carrying water to the front lines. I mean, they're just really feeling beat up because they're so service oriented and we're having to say no to customers in um, we, we are so typically coming from a place of yes, um, that it hurts, it hurts the heart to have to say no to some customers right now. Um, but we owe it to them to be, to be candid and let them know what we can and can't do. And, but it's, it's stressful. It's stressful to our team where they, they feel like they're, the wins are, are not quite what they used to be. And so figuring out how we can best support them right now is probably our, our biggest, it's our biggest challenge and definitely our biggest priority. Yeah. And combine that with just a, a year of turmoil, I think. People have, right. yeah. have, it's been a confusing year between COVID and social justice and political turmoil. Um, it's not been an easy time. People have been separated from their family and loved ones and felt confused over the past year. And, and I think now as, you know, there's a now hiring, hiring sign on every business, on every street corner. Mm-hmm. I think it just makes it even more challenging for them to feel like they can be successful. And so finding a way to support them, as Jennifer said, by carrying water to the front lines is part of what we need to do right now to help give them an opportunity to be successful in their job. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's great. We, we, the, the emotional strain on people is, we've never seen anything like no. what they're doing with. And these are people, like even in our own organization, no one lost their job. They got raises at the beginning of the year. I mean, from a business standpoint, life was fine, but everything else in life was so messed up that people were, are still feeling this incredible sense of stress. We had, we had some people who barely left their house for a year. Yeah. Um, basically, they went to the grocery store and maybe they didn't even do that. They just had Instacart. And so just helping to figure out how we as employers can play a role in helping people deal with that. And where do you, where does it start and where does it stop? Um, I think, I think it's a challenge for all of us, but I love how you, you know, you've embraced it saying it's also our responsibility. Um, Greg, I really like the fact that, you know, thinking about, we want to revel in the fact that we're helping these people create success, whether it's the big things, like I got my first house or it's maybe the deeper things like, um, I've got something to be happy about and you know, my job, my coworkers, my culture and, and the business gives me something to look forward to. Well, it, it, yeah. Talking about what Jennifer talked about, about our tutor program, that was one of the things that we really talked about at length was if we could give an hour or two of time back to parents, you know, for, for everyone that has, has kids out there that remembers that time when they realize that, oh, my kid's going to be with me forever. And I have to also teach them and I have to do common core math. <laughs> And 
we just wanted to give them an hour of time that they could just be a parent, not have to be a teacher, not have to, you know, do all the other things and, and, and really finding small things like providing that support from a tutor made such a big impact, I believe, for our team. It just says a lot about the two of you as leaders in really having a lot of empathy and caring about your people because they're what makes your business successful. And ultimately that's what it's about, right? It's the staffing industry and it's about people. It's absolutely about people. Yeah. So that's um, is a competitive advantage, I would say for sure. I mean, it's, yes. it's the right thing to do, but it's smart business too, right? Like when people are distracted um, with, with the stresses of their day, they, they can only be marginally effective because these struggles and these challenges are real. It's occupying real headspace. And to the extent that we can alleviate some of that for them, it feels good. And it is good. It's, it's, it's what we want to do. So Jen, you were just starting to talk about the importance of focusing on people. And Vicki and I were just coming off of a discussion that was all about technology and staffing. And so I'd love to, to get your take on looking forward, where you see the industry going and what's the opportunities and threats ahead. So I'll, I'll, I'll start with that. I, I think that technology is a beautiful thing. We have many, many technology tools here, but, but the technology will not replace the, the relationship. If it does relace, replace the relationship, then you become a commodity because um, this, this is still, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and it is still fundamentally a relationship business. I, I just walked into this conference room for, for our discussion and I overheard a recruiter on the phone having a conversation with somebody about this job and why he believed it was a great job for that person. And he was getting that person excited and he hung up the phone and he's and, and shared with his team about how pumped he was that he'd made that match and this guy's going to start next week. And, and of course the cynic in me is like, we'll see if he shows up, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, that was a whole conversation, right? That wasn't just AI. Now, now there's, there's, AI that helped him surface that candidate out of the database. There is technology and digital marketing tools we're using to attract that candidate in the first place. So we're using all the technology, but at, at point of service, at, at that last mile of service, it's a, it's a human interaction. And we have more than ever been investing in our, our place talent. Greg called, referred to them as our field force. Um, I'll call them our place talent, people who are out working on assignment for us. We have invested more and more time and systems and technology to support having more meaningful conversations with people. Uh, we're redefining success now as not just keeping somebody on a job, but detecting a problem. Uh, I think we've, we've had a lot of incentive in the past to put David to work, keep David on the assignment, hope David just keeps showing up. Well, David disappears if David doesn't feel like we care about him. And so we are now changing the point of the, of winning the, the, the measure of success now is how, when was the last time you talked to David? What, how, how meaningful was that conversation and what problems did you spot? And the minute we hear that you're feeling disengaged or feeling like you're not in the right place, we are quickly reacting to that to either help solve the problem there or help you find your next opportunity. Um, because a win is you not disappearing, right? It's, it's, it's yeah. staying engaged with that talent. So it's, re, it's relationship. And I, I think the biggest threat to this industry is forgetting that. Um, falling in love with the technology for the sake of the the cool factor of the technology, what the technology can do. I'm more interested in how can that technology enable us to make better connections with more people faster. 
not replace those, those interactions. I think maybe COVID and being locked down for a lot of people makes this even more important. There, you know, you're placing people that, that don't necessarily have that human connection and having that, having somebody checking in and saying, are you okay? And how are, how's the job? And are you moving, progressing towards your career goals? May, they may not have that human connection elsewhere. We had a very powerful story come out of one of our branch offices about a month ago. Um, our technology notifies us if there's ever a 911 call from a branch. And whenever I see that notification, my heart stops. Um, and in this particular case, the story behind that 911 call was that a recruiter got a phone call that morning from a person who was uh, letting her know he wasn't going to be into work that morning. He said, it's not working out. It's not going well. I don't want to do this anymore. And the way he was communicating with her sounded very, there was, some, there was something there that told her there was something more, right? And the more she dug into it, she went, what she found out was what he meant by I don't want to do this anymore was I don't want to live anymore. Wow. And he was headed to a bridge and he had carefully thought through what his plan was to take his own life. And the reason he called her was he had no one else to call. I mean, it literally could bring me to tears telling this story. She, a coworker of hers overheard what was happening and she quickly called 911 and they were able to triangulate the cell signal and find where he was going. And they averted the crisis. They were able to talk him off that bridge and got him help. But he called us because he had nobody else. That's amazing. It's a really amazing story. Yeah. And it's a powerful reminder, Our, our, our head of HR, um, has, has told this story, not this, this specific story, but she'll make this statement that you need to be in the corner of your talent because you may be the only one in their right. corner. Right. And this was such a stunning example of that. And so we, we try to really elevate the human element of what we do as often as we can, because it can get lost in the, you know, in the, the problems that we're dealing with, the fires that we're putting out, the cynicism sure. that can creep in about people. But at the end of the day, we are so blessed to be in a position to actually make a meaningful impact in another human being's life. No AI is going to replace that. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. So kind of wrap things up. I mean, we could go on for a long time because I've got lots of questions, but, but I want to be respectful of your time, but, but I, I do want to ask a little bit about the future, um, where you see the industry going and for people who are listening that may be learning a lot about living your values, where, what do you think staffing companies and our industry needs to do to be successful in the next 10 years? Greg, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I think I'll, I guess I would talk it from a technology standpoint, because I think over the next, I don't even think 10 years, I think over the next few years, I think the biggest threat to the industry is ourself and the technology that we create. I, I look at some of the technology where so much of a push is towards a, a gig freelance kind of a, you know, client chooses their own temp type of mentality. And and I think the industry is going to probably face a split where you're going to have these high-tech companies that will dominate a faceless workforce. And then you'll have other companies that are taking a hands-on customer-oriented approach. And it's going to be the low-margin faceless versus the high-margin 
personalized. So I think there's going to be probably more of a split in the, especially the commercial space over the next few years as, you know, companies and clients decide how they want to run their operation. And you start to see that, you know, starting to take fold now as, you know, so many things are going towards more of a vendor managed type of philosophy with their staffing. So I think that's where I see the industry really splitting. I know, you know, we've kind of, we look at technology as something that needs to augment what we're currently doing within our own system and within our own framework. So I think that's really the uh, next edge is kind of figuring out which way people are going to lean towards their staffing business. The other thing I see happening, I think companies are becoming more sophisticated about talent acquisition and about recruiting and, and our, our customers incompetence can't be our value proposition. <laughs> it's like the best quote ever. <laughs> I mean, it just, it, it's just really true. I, we, we have to be in it with them and, you know, what the brand promise that we've been executing against for the past, I don't know, probably five, six, seven years has been to own the outcome to like fully get um, aligned with that customer to understand what is it you're trying to accomplish through using staffing. And we will own that outcome, meaning we're going to need to be in, need to be in partnership. There's things that we're going to have to do that they're going to need to do. Um, but we're always talking about outcomes and what, what concerns me in the midst of, this really challenging recruiting environment is people who just kind of throw up their hands and say, well, what can you do? You can't win. You know, my client, I, I literally, I, I hear this on calls where we'll say, well, yeah, we can't fill all the jobs, but they can't fill them either. So, you know, well, the more your customer sees that you can't deliver, they have to find a way to get done what they need done and you become irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be willing to step into those hard places and have the hard conversations advocate for change inside of our clients' organizations, reflect back to them things like, one of the things we're doing now is um, talent satisfaction surveys and reflecting that data back to our customers and saying, here's what people say about working here. And here are your opportunities to to improve retention. And our best customers are craving that data. And the fastest way for me to lose interest in partnering with you as a customer is when you don't want to hear that data. Um, it's a real good litmus test for us to see if this is somebody we can own the outcome for. Are they willing, do they have an appetite for reality and do they care about making the changes that they can? So uh, I feel like we are in more and more of a, a talent advisory and consultative mode than we ever have been. It's not just, you know, take the job and fill the job now. It's much more strategic level conversations. Well, we're also, oh, you, we're also oh, go ahead, Greg. level conversations around DEI initiatives. So for example, we joined an organization called CEOaction.com which focuses on um, DEI stuff and being able to talk to a client about, you know, how a criminal background check or how this drug screen, how it not only impacts their ability to recruit, but it also impacts, you know, certain groups of employees. Like it can target an entire class of employees that they're not able to access. So they're actually able to improve their recruiting and be able to access a variety of underrepresented communities simultaneously. That's excellent. Um, one of the things you mentioned in the beginning, Greg, was your training programs. And Jen, you just talked about getting people to think strategically and have conversations at a higher level and own outcomes. How do you train the average recruiter, branch manager to be able to think like that? Well, we, we, don't necessarily train them to focus on the outcome. We focus on the process that will deliver the outcome. And so I think that's 
the essential difference. We say, if you follow these steps, if this is what the customer says, follow these steps and we'll then measure what the outcome looks like. And then we may need to make adjustments along the way, but it's less about trying to focus on the end result as much because that can be really challenging, especially if you're talking to someone that's just joined your company you know, they're only been with you a few weeks. Instead, we just teach them, here's how you follow the steps and the outcome will present itself. Let, let me clarify a little bit there. So we know what outcomes we can deliver. And so it's not like it's a big wide open field of outcomes. We've identified the outcomes that we are most successful delivering for our clients. So then it becomes about to the point of systemization crafting questions in, in our sales process that help us understand which of those outcomes is right for that customer. So it's not like they're playing with the complete color palette. They, you know, they've got a, they've got a 64 box crayon, not the, not the, not the big one with the sharpener, right? Like, 64, there's, there's only a handful. There's, you know, like there's less than that, right? it's like, it's like a dozen, it's a dozen outcomes <laughs> that we know we can nail. And and then we know what it's going to take to deliver those outcomes. And so we build it into all of our systems. And we are teaching some thought process, though. I mean, to Greg's point earlier about teaching about the mindset of the customer and customer personas, we're teaching more marketing. You would love that. We're teaching more marketing, classic marketing to our, our team about what is our ideal customer? How do, what are the things they care about? What are the words they use? What are the things they're reading? What are the, who are the people and, and information sources they trust? What are they and, stressed about? Right. What are they yeah. sleep over? And so we are obsessed with understanding who that customer is. We turn down business with customers that don't fit. So for example, for us, we've identified that the ideal customer for us is somebody who feels a tremendous amount of responsibility to deliver a good outcome to their business and they're under-resourced to do so. And so, you know, we had an opportunity with an RFP, kind of a marquee name client here in the Seattle area. But when we looked at the, who that client was, they were gonna award this to five different companies who were gonna get a mass email. Everybody's gonna get all the orders, and the person we were dealing with is like, you know what, fill what you can, leave the rest. That's not our ideal customer. And so we actually walked away from the business because that's just not the person that we are best wired up to serve. We're wired up to serve the person who, uh, you know, a recent, we're in the middle of our mid-year customer satisfaction survey. And I see these comments about things like, you have my back. I know that you care about my business. Um, you, you care about my business as much as I do. I mean, that's, that's what we hire for. That's what we train for. And then um, we do these regular customer surveys where we can then feed that feedback back to the employees who are delivering those outcomes. And it becomes rocket fuel to continue. It becomes this virtual, this virtuous cycle of, of good, of goodness. Uh, but that's, we look for people who are going to be obsessed with helping their customer deliver yeah, their outcomes. That's where it's so hard right now. That's where it's so hard, I think, because they are obsessed with creating good outcomes and it feels like we're more, more strained than ever to deliver some of those outcomes. You know, it's a bit of a throwaway term that I think is easily used, which is the term partner. And when we look for a partner, we're looking for really a good two-way partnership, like any relationship. You have to be able to give and receive bad news both ways. And really to be, you know, hold hand in hand with your customer to recognize, you know, when we're talking about own the outcome, we literally feel like if we can't do this, you should either fire us or we'll fire you. Like it's not, it's not you say a, a little, you say it a little nicer than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> He's not the marketing guy. It's okay. <laughs> I'm not the marketing guy. <laughs> But I get you, Greg. I'm like that too. It is getting in deep with the customer and recognizing that you're going to fail and the relationship's not going to be tested until you actually fall flat on your face and you need to pick yourself up. And, and that's really when you talk about where the industry needs to go. We need to be willing to get with our customer and face difficult things and come out ahead, not shy away from it. And I think that's our, our industry is for so long, it has the bad reputation. And, and it is, it's such a fun and amazing industry to be a part of because you get the inside track and all these cool companies that do cool things. Yeah. Yeah, we, I, we talk about owning the outcome. We, we go so far as to measure it. So we're right now in the middle of our mid-year customer satisfaction survey and it closes in a couple of days. But you know, our, our NPS score is, you know, close to 80% um, as of right now. And, and the, one of the questions that we ask in that survey is, are you getting the outcome you expect using Terra Staffing Group? And we were concerned going into this survey because, because recruiting has been so challenging. And, you know, what, what are our customers going to say? 93.7% so far. Uh, and, and we, you know, we're, we have over a 25% response rate on this survey at this point. So I think that number will hold. Uh, 93.7% have said, yes, they are getting the outcome. And so that's very validating that we're having the right conversations. It doesn't mean they're getting everything they want, mm -hmm. but they're getting, but we're doing a good job of setting expectations um, around what outcomes are possible and working to iterate on those outcomes. So it's, that is, uh, yeah, a, a relief <laughs> to see where, where that number is coming in in the middle of a relief. Yeah, relief. that that's fantastic. I mean, right. I would, I, I'm shocked just because, you know, the nature of the marketplace right now is there's going to be so many jobs that are going to go unfilled, or you may have clients that are sort of stuck with some unrealistic expectations about pay rates that haven't recognized the, the reality of the marketplace. And of course, you know, when you can't deliver the talent, um, the client's usually not very understanding, but it sounds like you're closer to your clients along the way, having the honest conversations, giving them the tough feedback and saying, look, you know, if we don't do X, we can't accomplish Y. And that yeah. seems to be, we're hearing more companies doing that, but that hasn't been the norm in our industry. It hasn't been the norm. It, it's, but it needs to become the norm, right? That, that's what it's going to take, I think, to thrive, um, especially going into the future. Uh, that, that's the kind of relationship. And that's the, that's the sophistication that needs to happen inside of the industry. So guys, um, thank you so much. This has been better than my expectations. My expectations were pretty high, as you heard at the beginning. Um, so really appreciate you taking time. For people who want to learn more about Terra Staffing Group or to connect with you, what's the best way to follow your organization? TerraStaffingGroup.com is, is where we live on the web. That's the best way to get a hold of us. Of course, LinkedIn, you can find Greg and I both there. And uh, we'd love to love to connect with other people in the industry. I, I love this industry and I, anybody who's interested in helping elevate it and make it better, you and I are going to be best friends. So um, if you want to connect, reach out to me. I'm happy to have a conversation. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. So Vicki, I thoroughly loved that chat. I hope you did as well. I've got literally two full pages of notes and I've talked to them a lot. So I thought I knew everything, but I didn't.
Um, you know, for me, there were just so many, I, I, I'll start with the thing that, that I love that I'm probably stealing an idea from you here, but the systemic thinking, the, it's not about people, it's about the process. It's about the tools, the training, the methodology, and putting that into your business so that if you take somebody, as Jen said, with the, the right raw material and you plug them into the system, Greg said it, they can't help but be successful. I just absolutely love that because that's so counter to how most organizations hire, which is, you know, I stress so hard about finding the person who's already a superstar, get them on my team, and then I sort of rein them in to do things the way similar to the way we want them to do things. Loved it. How about you? What'd you like? There's just so much to like here. Emma. The idea that uh, these two people really lead with their values first, and they obviously live that way. The um, success stories created daily, that mission just speaks volumes about who they are and the way that they define those success stories of not just being, you know, for a client or for their company, but also for their team. The stories around all the different things that they did to help people through the pandemic um, and choices that they made to uh, set the right exam examples and model the behaviors for their clients and, and give people in what they needed to survive and thrive in that time. It's just amazing. Uh, so many great stories here. But when I think it was Greg who said that they lost 40% of their business and at the same time made a decision to bring in tutors, to support their staff, to donate all of their profits to charity if they were able to get back to making any. What an incredible thing to do. Most business owners, and I hate to say it, probably me too, if we lost 40% of our business, I'd be in panic mode and just trying to figure out how do we get to survival? And they're thinking about how do we support people? Well, I think that comes down to really living your purpose and knowing and really having a passion around that purpose and living your principles. You're not just in business to make a profit. You're in business to make a difference and to make people's lives better. And, and the staffing industry is all about the people. Um, I really enjoyed the part where we're talking about technology too and where the future is headed and the technology um, really can't replace that last mile service and the connections that you make as a person, as a human. Yeah, it's very interesting because you know, when we talk with Maurice Fuller and he talks about 30% of hires being completely autonomous, and then here we're talking to Greg and Jen, and they're just talking about the critical importance of the last mile. And as Jen was telling the story of a recruiter who gets off the phone and it's so excited about how he found the right job for the right person, he presented it. And it made me think of an, another speaker I was listening to who talked about where motivation really comes from. And he said, motivation doesn't come from the, the extrinsic things we want to get, doesn't come from money. So motivation comes from things that excite us. And can an AI excite a candidate about a job opportunity? Can an AI excite an employer about hiring the right person? I think I'm more in Jen and Greg's camp is that last mile, the excitement, the motivation to take action is going to be a human, at least through the rest of our working lives. Well, there's a couple of things here. 30% are automatic and, and the AI is doing, but that means 70% is not. So there's still a humongous opportunity. And then 
technology can augment what we're doing. Systems can augment, not replace that person. And there's so much opportunity for us to, as a staffing industry, to change and adapt and use that technology to the advantage to allow people to have more time to make the human connection. So take out those parts of the job that are not the human connection and really focus the people part of it. Yeah, I was um, looking at a tool that uh, at your recommendation that, that automates copywriting. It does AI for copywriting. And I'm, and I'm really following what the users of the tool are saying. And some of the users are trying to use the tool to replace the human. They all hate the product. Doesn't work. Then another group is saying, how does the, the technology enhance the human? They love the product. Like I can do more content faster at a higher level with the technology acting as sort of the, the human guides the technology. Whereas when the technology replaces the human, it leads to dissatisfaction. I think it's very similar to what the whole staffing industry is facing. Um, one last point for me, just as, as a recap, was their owning the outcome uh, mindset. And when you think about owning the outcome, I, I really love the fact that they're enabling people to think strategically. And as Jen said, spending more time than ever consulting with clients. That's another thing that is not what you're going to get out of the platform as a staffing company service, uh, figuring out how do I get work done now when people are scarce? That being able to bring your people into those conversations and being able to help them through, as Greg said, process to elevate their ability to solve specific kinds of problems. I absolutely loved that. And in, you know, in, in any business, it's rare to see where you can provide a system that enables people to be really good at consulting. Most people usually think I have to hire really expensive, really high level people rather than letting the systemization enable everybody who follows the process to be successful. I think the keys there were that they aren't trying to solve every problem. Um, I, Jen made the analogy of the Crayola crayon box, you know. Yeah, no, but I like the one with all the colors in the sharpener. Yeah, we all did, but we broke all those crayons. They didn't really work for us. But, <laughs> but if you focus on what your outcomes are that you can provide and they know that they can provide. So if you focus on what the problems you are good at solving, the strategy becomes another system. I love that. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast. I hope you all enjoyed it as much as Vicki and I did. Um, if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and uh, tell your friends to subscribe to Secrets of Staffing Success. Thank you.